0: This on, am I on? <coughs> good, okay. I was trying to put the power button on without looking at it because it's trying difficult to get the clip on. it has got like your jacket. Mets fan. That's right. Opening day next week. Well, New Village, it's wonderful to be back here with you. Um, New Hope, it's good to have many of you here with us today, and it is a delight. Um, there's probably, and I and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, there's no other local church around this area besides my own that I pray for more than yours. And uh, we're praying for uh, your candidate search next week. And I pray that God's will be done. And uh, because just getting to know you and serving together with you, and David and Stephanie, and being able to serve alongside them in many different capacities, um, our heart and, and love is for you. Uh, we really do have an affection for you and uh, count you as dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. And um, I'm always delighted to be able to be here in any capacity, even if it's just uh, uh, kind of at sometimes at youth group, just hanging out and talking. David and Stephanie after and 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 sometimes we got to like kick ourselves out the door because we talk long hours And that's just a just a true sign of friendship and camaraderie and our hearts knit together in in the spirit of the Lord uh, new hope I got a few announcements for you and um, Just to take note of we will have service tonight and at six o'clock and we'll be back in the book of second kings We do have tea night tomorrow night at seven um, Thursday night. We'll be back in the book of first Peter and the next Sunday, Easter morning, what we're going to do is um, at 10 a.m., we're going to have a breakfast buffet outside. Now, it won't be as immense and as big as it has in the past, but it'll be an outdoor breakfast uh, buffet, so we want you to be able to come and enjoy that, and then we'll have a regular 11 a.m. service um, for resurrection morning. And so those are the only announcements that I need to mention for right now, um, and so just take note of all of those. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter number 21. Now, David, there's no, I'm not going to be out of the camera too much, right? I, I won't, I won't wander. I've learned to be like right here, because like, you know, as we do the live streams, I can't just do but this, but um, yeah, I could go all the way here if I want to, right? Because as long as someone was in the camera singing, I can, not that I'm going to go over here, but I could if I wanted to. Matthew chapter 21. One of the greatest questions that anyone has to ask in their life is, who is Jesus to them? Now, the vast world doesn't know Jesus, They know about Jesus. They may know of Jesus. They may have put him in the same category as Buddha or the same category as Confucius or Muhammad. He's one of those religious leaders or those religious figureheads. But when a person comes to terms with this truth, he is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father, but by him. Now they're left at a precipice of a decision that they have to make. Either they accept that truth, in in the truth and how it was intended and they become born again, they, they get saved. Or they reject that truth and they say, no, I don't believe that or I don't agree with it or I don't accept that fact. Up to this point, when we get to Matthew 21, Jesus has done many, many miracles, but often those miracles were met with, shh, don't tell anybody. Now, of course, when uh you were blind and then you were made to see that's not an easy thing to keep to yourself and so like bartimaeus or other people may have run around and said "Ah, i can see at other times uh people who were paralyzed from birth were made to walk i'm sure they leaped into their house that day i love the maniac you know the guy that's demon possessed with legions of demons and um and, and, and he gets healed from that, like the whole entire town is scared to death of him. He lives up in the tombs in the mountains, and, and he cuts himself, and he runs around with no clothes on, a kind of really, really bizarre scenario. And then when Jesus encounters him, and he encounters Jesus, and he gets saved, the Bible says he's in his right mind. And he says, don't tell anybody this. Yeah, right. Uh, he went, oh, he, and the Bible says he went and published that abroad. But still up to this point, it's been, we know Jesus the miracle worker. We know Jesus, the carpenter's son, we know Jesus has some kind of power, we know that he can do some amazing things, but the declaration and the proclamation that he is king, that he is Messiah, that he is going to now take that reign and throne publicly has not yet happened. So you did have some people believing on him, as in they knew, but... The vast majority of the world saw Miracle Worker, maybe Messiah, but is he even saying he's the Messiah yet publicly? All of that's about to change, and the entire Jerusalem world is going to be put at that same precipice of a decision. Who is Jesus to you? Is he the king or is he not? Is he Messiah or is he not? And by the way, the entire world, there is no greater truth that has to be understood than that one. That's why we send forth missionaries. That's why we go out into the world and we tell people. That's why we evangelize. Because we want them to be confronted with that truth. There is uh, no way to the Father but through Him. Now what they do with that truth is between them and the Lord. There's no salesmanship that talks someone into this. We present the gospel, and they either respond or reject the gospel. But at the very least, our desire is that they get an opportunity to hear the gospel in clear and certain terms. That's important. Because we don't care what the Internet says about Jesus or what the media says about Jesus or even what other people may say about Jesus. We want to know who Jesus is. And so we who have the truth need to spread the truth so they can be confronted with it and then make their decision right one way or the other let's open up in prayer and then we'll be in Matthew 21 father once again we come to you lord humbly needing your grace and anointing now father we don't come in our strength and our own ways we we come empty of ourselves lord needing your forgiveness on a daily basis needing your long suffering and mercy and grace to run through us father we need the holy spirit's guidance and leadership And Lord, we pray for now your power that we'd see these truths, Lord, in a familiar story, but we would see new truths, fresh oil, that we would be able to hear from heaven, be able to be confronted with these truths. And Lord, I don't know everybody here, and certainly if there's anybody here who does not know you as their personal Savior, that perhaps today would be the day they call on you for all of eternity to be in heaven, that today they would call on you to be their Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd work in their hearts. And for those that have already had that settled, Lord, that have already called on you, I pray, Lord, that it would reinvigorate them, Lord, of who you are and to follow you and to worship you and to herald you as our king. And so, Father, make sense of this in our hearts. For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. May the Spirit of God help us understand the Word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. I want you to look at a few things about this triumphant entry. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of years, you're probably familiar to hearing this story, like Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry. Our dear brother read the passage, which I'm glad. uh, David and I did not coordinate. He said, do you have a passage you want us to read? And I said, no. And he said, we'll probably just read triumphant entry. Now there's synoptic gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, they picked the right one. So they picked Matthew. The Lord led me on Matthew. We're on the same page. This is what God has for us. I'm always grateful for those confirmations. But well, we come to Matthew chapter 21, and I want you to see um, seven aspects of this triumphant entry, and, and, there's, and, and I'll make application for us along the way. But number one, I want you to see that the entry, uh, it was an entry of prophetic fulfillment. Now, verse number one, the Bible says, and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to the two disciples, saying unto them, go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied... With a colt, with her, loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. Now think of this task for just a second. He says, okay, disciples, it's time. Now, it's time to go. And they're like, you know, did you ever notice the disciples don't quite always know what's going on? They're kind of like, all right, Jesus has got us on some other kind of zany task. He says, go to the neighboring town, Look for a donkey that's tied up and take it. Steal it? Yeah, take it. It's not stealing, but take it. And if the owner says, uh, excuse me, what are you guys doing? God needs it. They'll let it. Now all of Jerusalem at the time, they knew the scriptures, and they knew that there would come a day when a donkey would be taken and ridden on. Isn't that amazing? king of kings is going to ride on the donkey in, not on some great Clydesdale horse, or some kind of great giant elephant of some, of some massive proportion. He's going to, on the donkey, uh, the animal that we probably say like uh, wh- what's the purpose of one? You know, like That's our Lord. He he came as a a sheep, as a lamb. He'll come back as a lion. But he says, take the donkey. And and they'll know. And they knew the Scriptures. They knew that one day Messiah would ask and would take the donkey and would ride into Jerusalem. And that would be the declaration. Messiah's here. Verse number 4. And all this was done. The disciples obeyed. Now, the disciples, at times they kind of questioned in their hearts. Sometimes they asked a question. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they pondered it. Sometimes Jesus answered the question that they pondered that they never spoke. Oh, he's hearing our thoughts again. And this time they obey him. And the man's, yeah, take it. But look at what verse 4 says. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Now back in Zechariah 9:9, 9, 9, here's what the prophecy said: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the fowl of He says, The prophecy Zechariah wrote and says, You rejoice, Jerusalem, and Zion shout rejoice. Because when the king comes, he'll come lowly on a donkey, and he has salvation in tow. He is salvation in tow. And so they were waiting for this, right? No one had yet dared, because it would be blasphemous, to do this and for you not to be the Messiah would be blasphemous. So at this point, no one has done it to a place of acceptance yet. And Jesus has been in His public ministry now for over three years. He's about um, 33 years old, uh, they say, right around about that. And and, um, and he's been public ministry about three and a half years, but a lot of it has been establishing the truths, preaching, teaching, performing miracles, and most of the time performing miracles that they might trust what he would say. That you may know that I have the power to forgive sins. I say, take up thy bed and walk. And now he's about to say, everybody out there, listen up, I am Messiah. So it's a prophetic fulfillment. It needed to be this way. If he would have rode in on a horse, it wouldn't have been prophecy. If he would have walked in and then later on said, I'm king, it wouldn't have been prophecy. Zechariah said, this is the way it's done. Jesus knew that was about him. I mean, he's the one that inspired it, right? And now he gets on the donkey, gets the donkey there that it might be fulfilled. So it was an entry of prophetic fulfillment. Number two, it was an entry that declared him as king. Look at verse five. Tell ye the daughters of Sion... Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass and an occult, the fowl of an ass. So it was one that would declare him as king. Now there's no more, shh, don't tell anybody. There's no more secret messiahship or the messianic secret as some scholars have penned it. No longer is there, we'll do these miracles and we'll get a gathering and one day we'll let them know the day has come. Maybe you've heard this phrase, and, and, and I appreciate David brought this up in, in his message to the youth group the other night. Um, he said his hour had not yet come. Remember that phrase throughout the Bible? My hour is not yet here. What did That meant the day that I come in to declare and the day by which I was crucified is not at hand At times they try to kill him I love the one where they basically take him up to the mountain and they're gonna throw him over the mountain And he's like, sorry guys, my hour's not yet come and they he passes through them Like like what was that like their arms were tied like this? They were like they want because they wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. They couldn't he just walked by nope Sorry guys my hour's not yet come and um So we get to this place now where the hour has come, and it's pretty significant, right? It's a bold message. No longer was there going to be a question, is he saying he's the Messiah? Because for a long time they were like, is is that what he's saying? Now they knew the disciples were saying he was Messiah, and they knew that in his preaching there were some alluding that he was the Messiah, and certainly some of the people that he healed may have concluded he was the Messiah, but this was publicly going to be broadcast like press conference style into jerusalem the place where they supposedly knew the scriptures he was coming in and he was saying i am the king i'm here i'm your king i'm your messiah and i'm here my hours come now wait a second who is he he is the lowly carpenter up from the northern region of Galilee. He's not some prominent king from the south. He's not some politician. He's not some trained Pharisee like Amelio or someone like Saul who trained under that. No, he is this humble servant carpenter who walks around with uh, fishermen and publicans. Now he was saying the trumpet blowing, if you will. I am king and I am here. Friend, this is the message. in in many ways I want you to hear Jesus say to you I am the king of kings I am the lord of lords I am the savior I am the way the truth the life no man comes to the father but by me that is the truth even if everybody else out in the world rejects it there is not every religion leads to heaven and it's all nicey nice and we want to respect everybody's own opinions now you might respect people's opinions and say, you know, we're not going to beat you over the head with anything, and and we appreciate that that's what you believe, but don't think that Christianity is our version of that. It is the absolute truth, and there is no wavering of it. He is the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way to heaven. That's why the message is an urgent message, and I want you to hear Jesus say that in your heart today. I am the king. Now what you do with that message is up to you. That's between you and the Lord, what you do with that declaration. But I want you to to see today that in the Scriptures, Jesus is not only in Jerusalem, but for all the world as they read the Scriptures, saying, I am Messiah. It's fascinating. The Jews are still looking for Messiah, aren't they? They're still looking within their boys. Maybe my son might be Messiah. Maybe one day one of these would be anointed to be the Savior. He's already come. He's already died. He's already conquered death. This is right before his death. And he is saying, I am the king. No longer is it going to be in question what Jesus really thinks. And by the way, it is being declared with full authority. This is not an ashamed, a bashfulness. A, Hello, guys, I'm the king. This is boom. Everybody, I'm now taking the throne, telling you I am the king. So it was an entry that declared him as king. Behold, Sion, thy king cometh. Number three, it was an entry that was received by fickle people. It was an entry received by fickle people. Look at verse 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought in the ass in the colt and put them on their clothes and they sent him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments. So the the disciples obeyed. He starts riding in. People say, he's riding in on a colt. He's riding in on a donkey. It sparked in their mind, Messiah's come. Now they either say, "Uh uh-uh, or they say, "Uh uh-huh. Right? So a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, hence Palm Sunday. Right? That's That's what it was referring to. And um, others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitude went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus The prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So, remember this is the week of the Passover, right? So there's a lot of people making their pilgrimage in. There's a lot of people from outside of Jerusalem, Israel, and even other countries who had become Jewish through proselytization. They're coming to make their pilgrimage for the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And so they're on many of those ways, right? Those highways, those paths of walking and and cattle strewning. And, 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 and by the way, this is what's going to lead to the fact of later on, in just a few verses we're going to get to, where they're selling the sacrifices in the temple. Because you were traveling far away, you might not want to bring a sacrifice from home, so I'll just buy one when I get there, right? You go on vacation, like, I don't want to buy a bathing suit. I'll just buy one when I get there. And then you got, and then it's like, you know, you go into Orlando and you want to buy a bathing suit and they're all like $50 more. I don't know if that's true, but they're $50 more. That's what's going to happen. So there's a lot of people traveling and all of a sudden they're walking and there's some noise and they turn and there's a guy on a donkey and everyone's going crazy. People are putting their clothes down. Why? Same reason why um, someone may throw down flowers for when a bride walks in and they throw the runner down, right? Because she's so precious and wonderful at that moment that she deserves to walk on this kind of red carpet, this flowers, this runner, right? And so they're putting their clothes down. People are like sawing down trees. He can't walk on this unholy ground. He's, he's, and it's like bandwagon mentality where everyone starts jumping on being like, Messiah's come. They're getting caught up in the emotion caught up in the declaration. They're getting caught up. But this is exciting. He's here. Like who doesn't want Messiah to come? They've all been waiting from the get-go that the Messiah would come. And, and when he comes, my goodness, is exciting. They wanted to believe this. They wanted to follow it. They were excited. And so as he's going on, they're all doing this. They get into Jerusalem and and there's a stir, there's this emotional wave of response that goes through all of Jerusalem, and people are like, what's happening? Like, I, I feel something. I feel moved. Uh, something's happening. I hear things. I see things. And, and no doubt, you've you got to admit, right, when you, if you would have been in the presence of Jesus, you couldn't have emotionally felt the same. There had to be some, like, just an awe of it, even if you didn't know who we was. It had to be. And so the whole city's moved. Well, what's going on? Jesus of Nazareth is here. The Messiah's come. Hosanna in the highest. He's here. The prophet of Nazareth of Galilee's come. And they knew the prophecy. They knew that this was a declaration of him being king. And now they're all excited. But I did label this, didn't I? That it was received by fickle people. And why fickle people? Well, what does fickleness mean? Well, they're all excited right now. I mean, the whole city's moved. It will be, in a few days' time, the same people in blood-curdling cries, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And the chief priests and the elders and Caiaphas and Annas will get them to even say, Let His blood be on us and on our children. Same people. Now, I don't see Annas and Caiaphas here uh, crying hosanna. No, no, no. But the people pilgrimaging, the people going in, the Messiah's here and they all get excited. Somehow Satan and the pride of their heart and Caiaphas and the chief priests and the religious leaders and the Pharisees and all of these naysayers will convince these people by the end of the week He is not God. He is a villain who needs to be killed. And Barabbas is more worthy to be released than this man. Whoa. That's a big change, is it not? That is a huge change. I think of our nation as an often fickle nation. There was a time when church was a lot more cultural. Meaning, everybody went to church. Pick which one you want, but everybody went. And, and of course, I used everybody loosely. But there was a time when it was the heyday, where people went, and that's just what you did on a Sunday morning. Matter of fact, many of you can probably even remember days when no stores were open on Sunday. And alcohol wasn't allowed to be sold, even when the, st- the stores started to open. You couldn't even sell alcohol in the mornings on Sunday. Why? Because everyone's got to go to church. You now, whether that was a real spiritual connection or not, Nevertheless, that's the way the culture was. Nowadays, it's more towards the crucify him portion, where if you go into church, you're like, wait, say that again. You're going where? Oh, why? You got to be kidding me! And whatever other things are thought about with church. I did a funeral yesterday, and um, vastly, the crowd was vastly unsaved. Like, like never would have considered themselves in a church before but praise the lord the lady who died was a saved individual but praise the lord she was someone that many other people loved instead of for her I'll go in church well, after i preached um so i was talking to some people and they never heard gospel message before they knew what they thought things were in church but they heard gospel message one guy says to me, what you just said makes me want to go to church. And he was like in his 60s. And I was like, praise the Lord. And he was, um, he goes, look at this. I just text my friend. He said, where are you? And I said, in church. And, and he showed, this is like a 60-something-year-old guy. And he shows me the guy's like, are you kidding me? You're in church? Why? With all these weird emojis. Now, that's funny to see them at that age, you know, just sharing forth emojis back and forth. Because I, I don't even, my emoji, my emoji level is like a smiley face. That's it, I don't know anything else. My wife's good at that stuff. Me, I'm like, my kids yell at me for like, why'd you put that? That wasn't even the right one. I'm like, I I don't know. I got cry emoji, smile emoji, like maybe mad emoji. I don't know all these things, but they had like 15 emojis like, I can't, why would you be in church? That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Well, that's the day we live in, right? We live in a day and age where uh, openly professing Christ is not welcomed like it once was. What happened to our people? Somewhere along the line, it wasn't probably true faith in many levels and the fickleness showed forth its face and, and the devil and the world and the flesh and all things in between convinced people that in this country, Christianity wasn't a worthwhile thing. Now, For you it is. You know why? Because you're here. And you're like, wait a second, this is my first time here. Praise the Lord, God brought you here, you're supposed to be here. If you're here, you were supposed to be here. I believe that, I really do. And God's got something for you. And one of it is, I'm the king. What do you do with that? But these were fickle people, right? The Jerusalem crowd are hearing he is king. He is Messiah. He is Lord. He's come, the Savior. Salvation in tow. And by the end of the week, they're like, kill him. What in the world can change in that amount of time that would cause you to want to kill anyone, number one, But you were just like, Hosanna is praising to God. He's Messiah. At the end of the week, something happened, Rob Jolau. Now we'll get more about that in a little bit. But it was an entry that was received by fickle people. Number four, it was an entry that led to spiritual cleansing. Look at verse 12, we carry on. And Jesus went into the temple of God. I like that it says the temple of God, not just the temple of Jerusalem. Because what is the temple of God? Later, in just a minute, he's going to say, it's my father's house. Like, I I know who built it. I know who often is in it. But let's not mistake, it's it's my dad's house, temple of God. So I went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, it is written, my house shall not it shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Now I love that he says this, right? Later on in, in other passages he says, my father's house, he says the temple of God, and what does he say here? My house. What does that say? I'm God. It's a claim to deity. Don't miss those little subtle claims of deity. Don't let that crowd out there tell you, well Jesus wasn't God, he was the son of God, or he was a prophet of God, he's not God. Jesus Christ is absolutely 100% God. It is that in that trinity. And guess what? The hypostatic union, which states for he is also 100% man. Now, we're not getting off on that today, but I want you to know he was 100% humanity and 100% God in the same place at the same time, and that makes no numerical sense because that's the wonder of God. But he was God. He says, my house. So he comes in there, right? And the religious leaders have their fancy tables set up, and, and they're doing two things. They're taking in money exchange. So, oh, you've come with Ethiopian currency. You've got to exchange it for Jerusalem currency. We're going to take a a small percentage of that. We have an upcharge in that exchange. Oh, you need a turtle dove. And in your country, a turtle dove might be a dollar. Well, here it's $3. So we're getting you on the exchange of money, and we're getting you on the extortion rate of the particular sacrifices. And Jesus comes in, and he knows what he's going to do. Like, he didn't come in and was like, what's going on here? He's like, okay, first order of business. i got to go there and get everybody out. Why? Because Messiah's here, and this ain't happening down during my week. I'm cleansing it. He goes in there, and he's like, out! Everybody out! And they're like... Excuse you? No, excuse you. Out. My house, my father's house, not a den of thieves. You're all robbing people and you know it. Get out. And he flips the table over. We've never seen Jesus like this before. What? Well, what should the people there do? Now, inside, they want to kill him. There's no doubt about that. But they also know that he's got this entourage that are all praising his name as Messiah. We we have a conflict here. The religious leaders are also highly embarrassed that he's just been shown; they've just been shown up by this man who's got this entourage of people. The whole city moved, money everywhere, and there's no doubt there's people being like, "Oh, we got to go get them." I mean, I don't know, but I mean, Judas might be like, "What's going on?" Money. And he casts; he gets them out; he drives them out. He's spiritually cleansing we have this it was a physical cleansing there's no doubt but the reality is when we are introduced to the savior and we get saved there is a spiritual cleansing that happens now yes we still are a sinner but understand this what is jesus saving us from he's saving us from our sin and he wants to cleanse us he puts the holy spirit inside of us and that holy spirit is going to sanctify us the word sanctification has the idea of uh, of being set apart for god's use Uh, it's where the word saint comes from It's God's work through you to conform you into his image. So it's a daily process from now, the day you got saved, until you get to heaven. He's sanctifying. He's working you. The potter is molding the clay. He's working in and through you. He is cleansing you. He is making you look more like him and and, and Jesus than you did the day before. That's supposed to be the, the, the way. Sometimes we fight against that. But it's a spiritual cleansing. Well, guess what? they didn't want a spiritual cleansing. It's amazing. There's a lot of people in the world that want church and they want Jesus. Well, they don't want the gospel. They don't want holiness. They don't want God's righteousness. I wonder, and, and, and this is not something unique with me, but I, you probably have heard this before, but I, I wonder how many churches that claim the name of Jesus have a cross, call themselves Christian in some fashion, But Jesus is not really welcome. You know, Jesus Christ. I mean, they might say Jesus, but they've made himself a different Jesus, a different Christ. He's not welcome in that church because what goes on in that church is not anything that would please him. That's the truth. And he came in, he said, this has got to go. It looked like a religious place for a long time, this religious temple. It wasn't. It was run by a den of thieves. And they got to go. Well, that's going to make them angry. But anytime we come in to the presence of God, there's going to be a spiritual cleansing. Here's this anomaly that I face, and I've told my church this many times: the closer I get to God, the further from God I realize I am. The further from God I am, the closer to God it feels like I am. Right? I get. There used to be things in my life, shameful things, hateful things, even as a Christian, even as a pastor, where I am like, oh, yeah. But then you get to a place where you get all those things right, and you're before the Lord, and now you're like, the littlest thing bothers me. Like, a piece of paper on the floor, I walk by, i like, I ain't picking that up. I'm like, all right, I'll pick it up. I'm sorry, God, for being selfish and not picking that up. Like, and I'm being a little silly, but I'm serious. Like, the closer you get to God, my goodness, the further from God I realize I am. Like, I didn't know I was 8 billion miles away. I thought I was like, you know, you and me were conquering the world. And now I realize, oh, my goodness. And then you get closer to God again, and it's, oh, man, His holiness is that much more. But it's a good place to be because you get confronted with your sin, but not condemned. You get confronted with your sin, and then you meet the Savior of mercy and grace who will forgive you of your sin and says, I'll cleanse you. I'll make it new again. You messed up, I'll make it new again. So though the task is somewhat impossible, God's doing it through us on a daily basis. And as we get closer to God, we realize, oh, I can never do this, I'm so far away. And God says, but there's forgiveness every step. But there is a spiritual cleansing. Let's not pretend that grace is cheap and it doesn't matter. Just do whatever you want. No, no. Those are that which Jesus died for cleansing. I want you to see number five. It was an entry of rejection for the self-righteous. It was an entry of rejection for the self-righteous. They didn't think they needed repentance. Look at verse 14 now. Kicks them all out. And uh, actually go down to verse 15. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. They were sore displeased. Notice it says the wonderful things in what Jesus did, and what was the reaction of the Pharisees? We don't like this. He came in and he confronted sin. That's the other thing. Just like when you what you will you do when Jesus says, I am king, what's your response? On your journey to salvation? You come across this truth, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. We get confronted with the fact you are a sinner. And somebody will say, no, I'm not. You're a sinner or needing repentance, and God will give you forgiveness. No, I'm not. Then you're like the religious leaders here. They that are whole need not a physician. That's what Jesus said. Meaning those that are self-righteous, those that are religious, and I say religious loosely meaning not relationship with Christ, but do religious works, look at all the good things I've done, that makes me right with God. No. There's a lot of people don't want to be called sinners, do they? What did Paul say? Uh, mo- many people would classify him as the like, most zealous Christian, maybe one of the best Christians of all time. Outside of Christ, Christ doesn 't count, obviously he is the standard. Paul said that i 'm the chiefest of sinners. He had no problem classifying himself as a sinner. He said, a matter of fact, i 'm the number one sinner I know. And to be confronted with that fact in the world, I am a sinner, a lot of people buck at that i don 't want that. And it is very difficult to reach people in affluent areas oftentimes because they think they have other being blessed and i 'm not a sinner, or in religious areas. You know what is one of the greatest causes that sends people to hell? I mean, I know sin is what sends people to hell, but one of the greatest causes is religion and good works. Because it confronts people in their mind that I'm good enough, like these religious leaders. So this was an entry. I am King, Messiah, Savior. You are a sinner. You need to be cleansed. That was rejected by the self-righteous. Just like it's rejected by the world today who are self-righteous. But in contrast, number six, it was an entry of acceptance for the broken. It was an entry of acceptance for the broken. They knew they needed healing. Look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Here are the broken. Here are the castaways. Here are the maimed, the blind, the lame, the hurting, the despaired. They're in the temple now, right? And they've probably been rejected for a long time. Get get out of here. Get out of here, freak. Go. No place for you here. Jesus threw over the, the money, kicked out the religious leaders, and this did not deter the broken. The broken came nearer. Luke 15.1 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. As a matter of fact, I preached this at the funeral yesterday. The sinners and publicans drew near unto him. Most people would have you think sinners don't want anything to do with Jesus. But Jesus was so amazing that the sinners couldn't help but to draw near to him, like Zacchaeus. The ones that didn't want Jesus anywhere near him were the, pub, were the religious leaders, the self righteous, the holier than thou crowd. The broken, they, they have no place, so they come to him. Isn't it amazing how, as holy as God is, and there's no doubt, there's no compromise on the holiness of God, how loving he is to the sinners? The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. Zacchaeus, who robbed just about everybody there legally. People like Peter. People like Matthew, who is Levi, who also was a publican. So the temple's cleansed. It's kind of a ruckus. Jesus flips over the table. They all run out. They're angry. And there's the blind and the maimed. We're still here. Can you heal us? Is there a place with us, with you, with us? Can. Can you help us? And these verses are not here by mistake. Yes, Jesus could help them. The broken come to God, and God cleanses them, heals them. And and understand this, we're not talking just about physical healing. We might pray to God for our physical ailments to go away, and God may say no, God may heal them, God may say no. But guess what? All that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. When you cry out to Jesus for forgiveness of sins and authenticity of faith, He never says no. Never. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here are the the blind and the lame. I can imagine the the, the Pharisees, He's not Messiah, He's not King, He's blasphemed. And there's, who's left over? The maimed, the lame. Well, we still think He's Messiah. Is there a chance for us? There sure is. There sure is. Is the arm of the Lord too short that He cannot save? Absolutely not. Can I tell you this, friend? There is not a sin in this world that Jesus Christ cannot forgive none i don't care how heinous it is in your mind there is not a sin in this world that jesus cannot forgive every single one but you got to know that you need forgiveness that's why we give out the gospel that's why we give out the truth of the word of god they come unto him they healed of him they're forgiven by him but then there's the self-righteous Remember the two people in the temple, Jesus gives the story. One of them is bowing down on his face because he can't even so much as to lift up his eyes. And he's crying out how bad of a sinner he is and how worthless of a person he is. And he's crying out to God for mercy. And then there's the Pharisee, the religious leader, uh, the the self-righteous guy. He's like, man, I'm glad I'm not like this guy, Lord. Whoa, yikes. Thank God I'm not like him. And Jesus said, two went in, one left justified. Which one was one left justified? Which one left forgiven? The rotten sinner who couldn't get up. The broken. The maimed. The one that knew he needed a physician. So as this king came on the donkey, it is known by the maimed, maybe there's hope for us. One of my favorite things about the gospel, my favorite things, Is it gives hope to people who thought they need that could never get hope I told you yesterday linda. Uh, we did a funeral for linda And she had a group of people there that would never you would never expect in church You know what linda got saved a few years ago And I won't go into the whole story of it, but here's what linda said because she's got a big backstory Linda said I never thought That god would ever love me And I never thought god would ever forgive me and I never thought I would have a place with god And then she heard real Jesus, and she was forgiven of sins that I'd rather not go in. Why? She didn't know that Jesus would even be offered to her. She figured, someone like me, there's no chance for God. Until she met Christ. She was broken, maimed, and blind. She met Christ and was spiritually healed and given eyes to see, light went on, everything changed, now Linda's in heaven. I was able to tell her crowd, this is what happened with delight, that you too could be born again. Are you lame and maimed, or are you self-righteous? One more, it was an entry of praise for the simplest. I don't know if you picked up on the last verse we read in verse number, uh, well we didn't quite read it actually so I, ha- I hid it from you. But verse number fift- uh, 16. <coughs> so the chief priests are upset, right? Verse 15, I'll read again. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and said, unto him, uh, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise? So the Bible here says the children are crying in the temple. Children are in the temple, and they're not crying like, eh, like you know, in the nursery. They're, they're like, Hosanna, praise Jesus. Little innocent kids praising God, and this is making the, the Pharisees really mad. And he says, out of the mouth of babes. I love. Luke 19, let me read you Luke's version of it. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitudes said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. So this is when they're marching in, and the disciples are, Hosanna, we're here. They're coming off the Mount of Olives. And he's here, Messiah's here. And, and, the, and the Pharisees say, hey, silence him. Silence those guys. Look at what he says. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if thee should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. He said, if, if the people didn't praise me, the, the rocks would start praising me. They're in the temple. Who's left in the temple? The religious leaders have been thrown out in the temple or the maimed and these innocent childlike faith kids. These kids saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this is making the Pharisees nuts because they don't want to accept it. Why? Because he told me I was a sinner because he flipped over the money. Because he kicked me out. Who, does he know who I am? Does he know my title? And I love that even the simplest are praising God. Sometimes children think, what place do I have in the kingdom of God? Friend, young one, the kids are crying out and God says, yes. I love when I, my little four-year-old daughter, Charity, my, without even conscious understanding, starts singing a song about Christ just because she's heard it like jesus loves me. Now, i'm not about to sing because i'll ruin that whole song for you but start singing that song see my, my people knows. um but i love hearing that just her her she doesn't even know what she's singing half the time but she's praising god out of the mouth of babes so we have this it was an entry of prophetic fulfillment it was an entry that declared him as king it was an entry received by fickle people But at the end, they show their true colors. It was an entry that led to spiritual cleansing. It was an entry of rejection for the self-righteous. They didn't think they needed repentance. But it was an entry of acceptance for the broken. They knew they needed healing. And it was an entry of praise for the simplest, the childlike faith. So I got a question for you. How will you receive this entry, this declaration of him being king? You didn't see it with your eyes him coming in, but it doesn't matter. You hear that he's declared himself as king. It wasn't a matter of everybody else declaring him as king and Messiah. He was now declaring himself as king. So I ask you, who is the king to you? Is he one that you'll quickly accept but later reject? I wonder how many people in the churches, they they get excited and they disappear. The parable of the sower. With joy they receive it. But in the end, they fade away. They walk away either through the the chokings of this world or the trials and temptations. How many people make an emotional decision but there's no true heartfelt repentance and belief in the Lord? So will you receive the king, accept him quickly but later reject him? Or maybe you initially reject because you're unwilling to repent sin you're unwilling to re- and you're refusing to see your sin maybe you're sitting here saying i'm not a sinner why does he keep saying that my, pe- my people know the story too but i remember witnessing this to a, a co-worker of mine years ago and i just just used the christian language you know they call it Christianese or whatever i was saying about being saved and he got really mad he goes why do you keep using the phrase saved it's imp- like implying i'm lost i was like well i wasn't meaning to be offensive but that is the truth and you're not lost because you're worse than me i once was lost but now am found was blind but now i see people don't want to reconcile that friend if you know not christ he that hath the son hath life he that hath not the son shall not see life the wrath of god abideth on him so you might be there arms folded angry why does he keep saying i need a savior because you do Just like I did. So who is this king to you? Maybe it's one who you'll run to in brokenness knowing you need a Savior. Knowing you need forgiveness and mercy. Knowing you need spiritual healing. Maybe you're here today and you're in a dark place and you don't know God. You don't know Jesus. And you may not even know why you're here. Or maybe you've been putting on an act and you've been playing church. But you know you're not saved. And today you're hearing the Savior and you're hearing God's poke at your heart and today you can run to him and say god i'm sorry forgive me god save me maybe your your whole life's a mess can i tell you this whole life was a mess and she ran to the savior one of her last words on the last day of her life she said to her cousin diane i'm gave it over all to god now she wasn't talking about salvation she was already saved she was talking about her life I gave it over all to God, and this time I'm not taking it back. She was at a place of peace. I was able to say yesterday to the crowd, you know what, it doesn't matter often how you start and how rocky the journey is. It matters how it finishes. And she finished at peace with God because God saved her and fixed fixed all of her spiritual issues that she can go to heaven. Maybe you're here today and you need a Savior. You need forgiveness. You need something. Jesus is that something. Maybe you're already saved. And you would say, what does this entry mean to you? Who is this king to you? Well, for you it would be one of praise. Because you know who He is, the Savior and King. And you know who you are, sinner who needed a Savior and in childlike faith you received Him, and you walk in Him, and a born-again believer who follows the Savior and King, and it cries out in your heart, Hosanna! He is God! He is King! And I do praise Him! And He has fixed me, and He has saved me, and I get to serve Him, and that gets me fired up. I want you to realize something. Serving God is not humdrum. It ought to get you fired up. It ought to get you excited. Now, I understand not everybody um, shows forth that excitement and praise in the same way, but he is worthy to be praised. And that's not just a cliche. That is, you ought to get excited. If you get excited at sports, you will get excited at the Lord. And that doesn't mean you've got to s- holler and yell. Now, you can. You want to holler and yell for the Lord, and it's not for some attention-drawing thing? Do it. Amen. Whatever. It ought to excite you. You ought to say, he is king. Yeah, this world's all messed up, and this whole last year has been really, really difficult and weird. But he is king, and he's coming again. I'll get you fired up. My friend, answering that question, who is Jesus to you, is the most important thing you'll ever, ever, ever have to ask and answer. But it is also the question that the world has, but they don't know they have. So here are the soldiers who say, Go and tell everybody the king has come. And we're not saying he's coming this day. No, 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 no. He came. He is the savior. He loves you and died for you, and you can be forgiven. That message needs to be declared to everybody on that block, and that block, and that block, and everybody you know that's not. Everybody. Who's going to tell them? That world ain't telling them. Uh oh. We start looking around. We start looking. The numbers are down. Who's going to go? Well, I guess that means me. As a church, new village, as a church, new hope, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. How dare we? Let's go out. Let's tell. Let's invite. Let's share the good news of Christ because he is the king. And even if at the end of the week everybody else is crying, crucify him. And I know the disciples all forsook him too, but then they came back, except for Judas. We could be like, he's our king. And the rest of the world denies it, we proclaim it. Not in arrogance, but in joy. He's our king. Let's have everyone's head bowed, eyes closed, no looking around. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. I don't know if you do this in your church or not. It's okay. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out and, and force you to do something you don't want to do. But I want to talk to you for a few moments, just between you, me, and the Lord, so you have your head bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today, and you would say this, Pastor Jason, if I were to die today, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. I promise you, I'm not going to call you out and make you embarrassed. I'm not going to call your name out or anything like that. I just want to pray for you. No one else should be looking around. If you say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die, please pray for me. Would you quietly raise your hand that I might pray for you today? I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me. I don't know if I've been forgiven of the Savior. Would you please pray for me? I see your hand too. Anyone else? I'm not sure. I'm going to heaven. You may put your hands down. God bless you. Maybe you're here and you say this. God's stirred in my heart and I want to go out and reach more people. I want to go out and share the gospel. I may not know how to do it. I may be a little nervous about it. But God has stirred my heart. I need to tell people he's the king. I need to tell people He is the Savior because it's not just a matter of fact. It's a matter of hope for them. It's a matter of salvation for them. How many people has God stirred their heart today? I, I need to go share the gospel a little more. Would you raise your hand? I can pray for you. Good. I see hands all over the auditorium. There's hands. That ought to stir you up. I can't tell you. It, it has to, but it, it ought to say, man, I need to tell people. How many people here just by raise their hand and say, I just want to praise the Lord for being my king. I just want to praise God for being my king. Would you testify that today? He's my king. He's my king. Praise the Lord. Here's what I want to do. Let's stand on our feet, head bowed, eyes closed, no looking around. I just want to take a few moments. You keep your head bowed, eyes closed. I want you to meditate on things of the Word of God. I want you to pray. I want you to do. talk to God however you want. Right? He's right there. He hears all of us. Praise Him if you want. Ask Him for boldness if you need to. If you want to be saved you're not sure, I want you, after the service, to come to me or to come to one of the leaders that you know and trust and we can share from the Word of God how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. But Right now, I want everyone here just to just take a moment and speak to God. Praise His name, if you will. Ask Him to help you share the gospel, whatever. Or maybe God's pointed out something totally different. He does that sometimes, and that's awesome. But take a moment just to pray before the Lord. And then just a few seconds time, I'll close in prayer. By the way, the sin to confess, now's the time to, right before the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can meet together, our churches. We can have the Word of God. We can worship in song. We can worship in fellowship. Lord, I pray, Father, that as you have declared yourself to be king, to be Messiah, that that message we would spread abroad. I'm thankful, Lord, that you pricked my heart to draw me to you i would be saved thank you lord that you've saved so many that are in this building lord that they they took the message, heard it or changed by it you are our king and i know the world rejects you as king but you are our king that's why our citizenship is in heaven we are in the kingdom of god as we journey through this world we thank you lord for dying for us sinners thank you lord that you looked at us saw the lost sheep loved us anyway father i pray for those that need to be saved that they would be today lord i pray for those that need to share the gospel and evangelize more fervently more boldly more consistently i pray that you'd be with them and for us lord who need to praise you more that we need to get our eyes off of the circumstances of this world and on you our king may we praise you more sincerely and more deeply we love you lord And as we look forward to this week, the holy week, the passion week, unto the resurrection morning, may we reflect on all those things. We praise your holy name. We're so thankful for you. And we love you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus, the name above every name. Amen.